Well, welcome. It is good to be here. Am I on? Am I talking? No, not yet. There we go. Hey, welcome. It's good to gather today. Beautiful day outside, but every Sunday is a good Sunday because we are called by God to come and be with our family. So much happens when we come together. We lift up his name in praise, gather around his table. We go to him in prayer. We hear from his word. And also uh, the spirit within each of us encourages the spirit of those that we love. And if you're visiting with us, we want to extend a special welcome to you and thank you for coming our way. And my testimony to you is that this family has tremendously blessed my life and the life of my family, and I think it will yours as well. So if you're interested in learning more about us, one way to begin that is to take one of those little cards you see there in front of you, and our members are signing their attendance on the member side. And on the guest side, if you will give us your name and If you want to be contacted by someone from this church to talk about who we are and what our vision is for God's kingdom in San Angelo and throughout the world, then give us a phone number or uh, email or something. We'll follow up on that. Do something a little bit different. I I did this first service, and uh, I just kind of want to uh, address the elephant in the room as far as this being the final Sunday that I'll be serving as your preaching minister. Uh, I'm going to read something. Uh, primarily to be honest, so I'll stay a little bit detached and not let my heart go totally where it wants to go right now. I do want to thank this church for giving me the opportunity. You know, this congregation is so special to me and to Pat in so many ways. You know, you gave me the very first opportunity. I remember, as, well, I better not get off script, wait a minute. <laughs> I remember thinking, who is going to ask me to work with them? And uh, I was blown away that a church of this quality uh, would call me back in the 1970s to be your first youth minister. You also uh, held on to me and wouldn't let me go and walked with me and loved me through probably, I hope, was the most difficult. I hope there's nothing else any more difficult than that in life as I went through that experience. I met Pat here in this building. And in fact, some of you sitting out there helped orchestrate my meeting Pat in this building. Yeah, Dot, I see you over there. Where's Sue? All right. Uh, Many of you also were present in this room uh, on our wedding day as we married here. Uh, All of our sons got their first taste of church in this family and some of our grandchildren as well. And over these past 14 years, you have patiently listened to my efforts to preach God's Word, and I want to say that you have ministered far more to me than I to you. It's been good, but change is good too. This change is going to be good for me and Pat, and I believe it'll be good for this church family as well. You see, I think that when someone comes in to minister within a church, it takes a while. It takes a while to settle in. It takes a while to find your voice. It takes a while to bring to bear on a church what strengths and gifts you have. But I also believe that ministers can stay too long at a church because after a while, you know, we bring our weaknesses and there's things that I can't do as well. And uh, those begin to wear on you as well, too. It's time for you guys to hear a new voice. And I don't know who that's going to be. 
Uh, probably you have not met that person yet, but God is getting him ready for this. Uh, God has got a man that is going to come in here and he's going to bless you and you will bless him. Uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to have a gathering and that's where I'm going to save my hugs and my tears and my smiles and our reminisces as we talk about the past and all the things that have happened in the way that God has blessed us. Today we're gathering in this room, though, to worship God, and we're going to continue with that worship now as Ed Jordan comes and leads us in prayer. I've had several people over the last couple of weeks say, well, what's going to be that final text you choose? And I think most of you are aware that the way I have always approached preaching is that I go by an ancient list of texts that uh, are that has been given to the church in which you can cover the Bible over a period of time. And I've always stuck with that, or for the most part. And I said, I'm going to stick with it still. And look what surfaced. I could not have picked a more appropriate text. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Now where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. But then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. May God bless the reading of his word. I hope today you'll hear me say a few things that you've heard me say a hundred things a hundred times before. First one of those is, here's one of my favorite passages. In fact, 
Today I get to talk about three of my favorite passages. The first one I want to look at is in Romans, Romans chapter 5. I love this passage because, uh, well, the whole chapter is just one of those chapters you need to have deep within your heart. But the portion I really want to look at right now as we ease our way toward 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is this one. Hope does not disappoint us. If there's one word, well, I guess there's more than one because we're going to talk about another one that's even greater, but one of the words that I have tried to put out here in all these years is the word hope. Being a Christian means you always live with hope. And what it means to always live with hope is that you are always looking forward to the best that is yet to come. Life can knock us around. We can have terrible things happen to us. We can have challenges. We have all kinds of things go on. And if we do not have our faith in God and in Christ, we can sometimes begin thinking that all the good stuff is in the past. And especially those of us who have grown older and we can no longer do what we wanted to do. And we've, done, and we've said goodbye to so many people. And we can easily begin to live as if everything that was good for me is in the past. The word hope challenges that. Because hope tells us that all through this life, no matter what stage we are in, no matter what circumstances we are in right now, that the very best and better than anything we've ever experienced, better than anything that we can imagine, is still in front of us. Hope does not disappoint us. It doesn't let us down. It's interesting that he chose that word because it's the same word that he, he used in the chapter 1, verse 16, where he says that the gospel doesn't disappoint us. I know our translation is that I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, that word ashamed is really, I'm never disappointed in the gospel. The gospel is going to hold me up. It will endure. It will take me from here into eternity. And hope does the same thing. Our hope will never let us down. It will never leave us hanging. It will always be there for us to pull us forward, to keep taking one step after the other, even if times are not good. Hope does not disappoint us, he says, because, because something else is happening to us through our journey in life. Through all the times of our lives, something is going on that keeps pushing us toward that hope. Hope does not disappoint us because God's love is being poured into our lives through the Holy Spirit. This is a process that goes on and on and on. Every day of our lives, God is pouring His love into our hearts. This reminds me of a story back in 2 Kings. Now, this isn't one of my favorite passages, by the way, but I like the story, okay? I still have two more favorite passages to go. All right, but a story back in 2 Kings about the Elisha the prophet. If you grew up going to Sunday school, you probably have remember hearing this story. But it's about uh, Elisha and uh, one of his prophets. You know, Elisha had a school of prophets that he worked with, younger men that, that he mentored and taught. And, and one of those guys died. 
And his widow came to Elisha and said, when my husband died, he left a lot of unpaid bills. And the creditors are now knocking on my door demanding that I pay the bills. And in fact, they have said, if I can't pay the bills, that they are going to take my children and sell them into slavery, which at that time was legal to do. Heartless, but legal. She said, what, I, what can I do? Elisha says, well, what do you have? She said, I've just got one jar of oil, probably olive oil, very valuable at that time or very necessary at that time. They cooked with it. They used it to light their houses. It was fuel. So I've got one jar of olive oil. And she said, he, Elijah, Elisha said, well, go tell your kids to run through the whole town and borrow as many empty jars as your neighbors have and bring them all to your house. And so she went home and she sent the kids out and they went around and knocked on everybody's door. Do you have any empty jars? And they collected, they said, every empty jar in that village. And they brought it in and they had them lined up. I don't know how many there would be, but I would think that the whole house was full of jars. And the lady then took her one little jar of oil and started pouring. And she filled up one jar and then another and then another and then another, and then another, till every jar was full. That story comes to my mind when I hear that I can continue living in hope because the love of God is being poured into me just that way. That it never comes to an end. That it's always there. And living under the power of the love of God changes life. And in fact, living under the power of God is life. Which brings me to my second favorite passage. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Just, just sit back and listen to these marvelous words that the Apostle John has given us. He says, loved ones, we have to be loving each other because love comes from God. And everyone who is a loving person is a child of God and knows God. The one who is not a loving person, the problem is they simply don't know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed us His love. He sent His one and only Son into the world so that through Him we might come to life. And so this is what love is all about. Not that we decided to love God, but that He loves us. And He sent His Son as a sacrifice to make up for all of our weaknesses, to make up for all of our failures, to forgive us of our sins. So loved ones, if God loves us this much, shouldn't it be showing in the way that we love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we are loving each other, we know God is living among us and His love is maturing in us. The Word of God. Love is evidence of the presence of God. 
Scripture tells us that God pours His love into us whenever we become His child. And He pours it into us abundantly and lavishly. And He keeps pouring it and keeps pouring it. And if God lives in us, it makes us, it forces us to be a loving person. If God is not present in our lives, we can live lives of fear. We can live lives of anger. We can live lives of criticism. We can live lives of despair. But if God is present in our hearts, the only life that we can live is a life of love. That's just the way it is. That's what Paul was talking about when he wrote what we now call 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Now the reason Paul wrote these words but because he was a little disturbed by the church in Corinth, because the church wasn't really showing a lot of love. Now, a lot of other things were going on there. Many of them could speak in tongues, look like some of them could perform miracles. It was a dynamic church. But Paul says, what breaks my heart is, I don't see you loving each other. Now, yeah, there were circles of people. Remember that from the first part of 1 Corinthians? There were groups of friends that kind of gathered together, and they liked each other. And, but he says, you don't understand that when you're called to be a child of God, he pours so much love in you that it's just going to spill over on everyone. Work with me through this passage one more time. He begins saying that loving others is the most important thing you will ever do. Anything else that does not originate in love and does not express love is worthless. Whether it's speaking in tongues, doing miracles, selling everything you have and giving it to the poor. said so none of that matters unless it is a manifestation of love. Then he goes on to say what love is and what it looks like. And he gives us kind of a checklist here to compare to our own lives and to see kind of are we loving people. Listen to what he says. Love is patient. If God's love is being poured into your heart, you're patient. And by the way, I wanted to say one more thing before we start doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to put this back in context. You know, I, I've heard this passage used in a lot of different contexts. I've heard it used at weddings. And certainly weddings are all about love, too. And you think, well, the love chapter ought to fit. And yet sometimes you have to kind of squeeze it in there, don't you? That's not really what this passage was written for. I've heard this passage used to talk about just love in general, and this is, you know, how we should be with everybody we meet and everything, and, and that kind of works too. But what this passage was written for was to tell a church how to love. This passage was written to people in the Corinthian church and to say, how is this going within your family, within your church? So let's listen to it in that context. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. Love is not envious. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. And it's certainly not rude. And this next one, after all my years of ministry, it's kind of got neon lights that kind of flash out here. <laughs> Love does not insist on its own way. Love means that everything doesn't have to happen just like I want it to happen for it to be okay. I spent a lot of years in ministry trying to get church to do things exactly the way I wanted them to do, and it hasn't worked yet. I've talked to a lot of people in church that get frustrated with church because everything isn't done exactly the way they want it to be done either. I've often said, and I want to repeat one more time so you get to hear me, church is one of the, I guess maybe the only institution that the longer you're in it, the less it's about you. The longer you're in church, you know, some organizations, if you get seniority in them, you get to call the shots. But the longer you're in this church family, the more interested you are in the people who are outside and those who are just coming in. And it's not about us. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't keep track of things that are done wrong, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, if that does describe you, great. If it doesn't, Paul would not then say, well, you need to work harder at that. Because what he says about love is that it's a gift of God to begin with. And if we're not finding ourselves in those things, then it's not so much we need to work harder as we need to get closer to God. We need to open our hearts to Him so that His Spirit, His love, what He wants from us is poured more richly and deeply into our lives. We hope because God's love is poured into our hearts. We love because God's love is poured into our hearts. Finally, Paul says that love is the only thing that will never end. The only thing we will take from us and into eternity is our love. Even our hope will come to an end because it will be realized. Even our faith will come to an end because we'll no longer have to believe, we'll know. But in eternity, we're just going to love even greater than we love now. That's what he says about how when I was a child, I did childish things. I had childish ways. I had all kinds of goals in life. I had all kinds of things that kept captured my attention. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. This makes me feel good, so I'll do some of that. And I just did all that. But he said, I finally I grew up. And I began to realize that the only thing that really mattered was that God loves me, and he pours that love into my heart, and it spills over and blesses those who are around me. When as a child, I spoke like a child, I reasoned like a child, I thought like a child. 
But now that I've grown up, I put those childish ways behind me. And now I've begun to see. Oh, it's like in a mirror, dimly, but I begin to see what life really is about. And it's about love. And one day, I'm going to see the one who loves me completely and fully face to face. And I'm going to learn how to love as much as I have been loved. And what a day that will be. And he closes by saying, These three things remain in our lives. These are the three things that drive our lives. These are the three things that are most important in our lives. Faith and hope and love. But he says, well, I want you to hear as the last word from me. I want you to hear what is the greatest of these. And the last word I want you to hear me say is love. Stand and sing.